The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasa. I'm excited to welcome Alan Chen, who is the co-founder and CEO of TasteWise. Welcome, Alan. How are you? I'm very well, Seema. Thanks for having me. Thank I'm, you. For- I'm doing really well all the way from Tel Aviv. The, you know, it's supposed to be winter and it's summer, so. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to join me today. I'm fascinated with your background, your company. So let's dive into it. You've had an amazing kind of career up till founding TasteWise. I would love if you could just share with our listeners a little bit of your journey as to how you got here. Yeah, absolutely. So the first and most important thing is that nothing was planned. You know, <laughs> I many people come to me and say like, you know, well, what was your thinking? And I, you know, I'm an opportunist and yes. I just, whenever I have a, I face a challenge or a need or a desire, I just go get it. So I'm born and raised in Israel. I started okay. to write code at the age of 12. I had my, my first business at 15 years old just because I had to make money because the programs I was, you know, developing and running were too much for the computer I had and my family couldn't afford another computer. So I started building computers and selling them to thousands of different businesses. That was my high school time. That's amazing. And, um, yeah. So, you know, a small challenge and then, you know, you go figure it out. And then I, you know, my first real job was at uh, Google. I was looking after the search quality for Hebrew, and then I moved to the marketing team. I was the founder of uh, Google Partners, which was basically the partner program for Google for the advertising business. Wow. From a small idea to a multi-billion dollar program with teams all over the world and more than 60,000 different partners on my program uh, back in the days. And really what I realized very soon is that I love technology and I Mm -hmm. love in business and marketing challenges. And that's what I'm doing today with TasteWise as well. You know, what's really cool is that you don't find as many people who can do both sides of the coin in terms of coding and technology, but then really loving the business side of things and almost, you know, personality-wise communication and being with people. So it's a unique skill that I think you have. I don't know if you feel the same way. I can be a programmer and develop and write code, but I'm so much better with people so are you yeah it was good but like you know people and business making was my number one thing passion but i'm really passionate about technology it's really you know what we're seeing today with uh generative ai but with ai in general is like you know keeping me up all night long trying to think of like how can we improve the food system with it yes yeah so i want to talk about that but let's first talk about you know you found it taste wise in 2018, I believe. Is that right? 2018. And how did you come about the idea? Wow, it's a great question. And and you know, the real story is that everything started on my family's uh, WhatsApp group. And my mom is an amazing cook and she invites us all for Shabbat dinner every Friday. And what I found out, it was that every Wednesday she was writing, you know, on the WhatsApp group, what's different <laughs> this week? 
Yes. And that means that, you know, it's small family and we're changing our diets every other week. And she was like struggling because she, she put so much hard work into yes. cooking traditional dishes. And then, you know, we come for Shabbat dinner and we don't eat. Nobody and wants so to eat it. And then I realized that the same thing that is happening with my family and with my diet, yes, you know, that it's constantly changing is also happening, you know, in the food industry. And that it's very slow to adapt and to change. And that it is a great thing for, you know, for the world, but also a great business opportunity. So that is to understand the changing preferences of consumers and kind of understanding the trends as it relates to food preferences. Is that correct? So what is taste-wise, yes, right? Yes, what is taste-wise? <laughs> I should be sound? asking you that question. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> enterprise, enterprise solution that yes. helps the world's largest food brands to basically digitize and transform their very manual, very tedious, very slow way and methods of understanding consumers and okay. consumptions for their product innovation line. So basically, we're a data platform that allows you to find out what is it that really consumers eat and drink. Mm-hmm to help them move from 90% failure rate mm-hmm. in new product launches to hopefully 100% success rate. So TasteWise is basically this data platform that collects every single data point from the across the web, from every single food delivery app, from, you know, we're analyzing traffic to all the recipes in the world to see what people are cooking with, things they're buying in the grocer. And basically we are bringing it to the organization with with a platform that helps you basically accelerate your sales, your product innovation process. So that was the first idea around TasteWise. And I'm so excited that we're working today with many of the largest, you know, food brands out there in the world. And what was interesting to see is that the same kind of data about what consumers actually eat and drink. Yeah. Sounds like eat, right? What do people eat and drink? Yeah. You know, I before getting into the food industry, I was sure everybody, everyone knows, right? Because everything is digital. But surprisingly, Sima, even the largest, most sophisticated food brands out there don't really know what their consumers are doing with their products. So they buy, you know, uh, cream cheese at a grocer, but they don't right. know what they cook with it or what did they put it in a spread? Do they use it maybe as a creamer? Who uh-huh. knows? They don't know either. So I said, wait a second. I come from a background that I know so much about my users, you know, back in right. my Google days. Right. Why can't they know? I mean, everything is digital these days. You know, people are uploading their uh, pictures before they even eat. They're ordering online. Mm-hmm. Why can't we bring it all together to one place? And this is taste-wise. That's amazing. That's so fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about... I want to come back to this, but I want to just explain the efficiency you've created for these manufacturers. How did they manage it, quote unquote, the old way? Yeah. So the old way is still the present times way. Okay. Yes. It's a very important disclaimer. Even though 90% of the innovation fails, Mm -hmm. it's still, it's very hard for organization to change their methodologies and and they really train their people on transforming and really changing the way they do their jobs, basically. So still today, surveys, Mm -hmm. focus groups, Mm -hmm. you know, are a key component into their efforts to try and uh, really imagine the future of their, you know, cream cheese Mm -hmm. product. And so we're replacing a lot of that, but also even the more sophisticated, you know, brands out there that look at what was put out there, you know, on the shelf. So they're right. monitoring every new product. Still not good enough because it's 18 months too late 
to the inside. You need mm-hmm. to know what you put on the shelf 18 months before it actually needs to be on the shelf. So when you're seeing your competitors already putting like, you know, a new product on the shelf with a new flavor or maybe with a new label. Right. You're in a great delay and you're going to, you know, miss out on a trend or you're going to miss out on your consumer's needs. Right. So with taste wise, people actually get early indicators as to what's trending, what people are doing with their products, like the cream cheese. Maybe cream cheese is now being used for, I don't know, homemade cheesecake or something like that. Right. That's a bigger use case than potentially bagels and cream cheese. Yeah. Is that fair? So yes, how to contextualize your product to Mm -hmm. what consumers actually do today. So cream cheese, it's a great example because, you know, the ketogenic diet is on the rise and cream cheese is an acceptable product in this diet because you need to have a high fat and low carb. So cream cheese is a great solution. If I'm running, you know, the brand, a cream cheese brand, and I want to make sure that my, when people get to the shelf, they will consider my brand. Right. I need to be able to communicate them in the right way. Maybe I need to have a keto-friendly version of my cream cheese, which is not so much different than my existing line of product. Or maybe when they're, you know, browsing for the next recipe online, my cream cheese brand that is also Mm -hmm. keto-friendly needs to be highlighted there. So they, when they get to the shelf, it's not going to be any, you know, question which brand are you going to pick up. So it's really about understanding consumers and how they're using products today yes and then adopting your product lines but also your marketing and communication to be able to you know win their hearts and stomachs oh i like that win their hearts and stomachs but give us an idea of the amount of data you're accessing and collating or rationalizing to be able to drive the insights that your clients are looking for yeah, so we're talking about, you know, trillion data points on how people use different recipes. That's amazing. Um, we're talking about hundreds of millions of menu items. Okay. From every single restaurant out there that is in the markets that we're covering, we're talking about millions of restaurants and hundreds of millions of menu items. But the insight there is like, how do you capture what's changing day over day and why? And is it on the menus? On the menus. Yes. There is there a trend and is there any pattern that AI, AI needs to actually find out? And we're talking about billions of social conversations. And then the most difficult part is not just the data volume. The most difficult part is actually the artificial intelligence that you mm-hmm. need to apply in order to understand the moment. Yes. So someone had a, you know, uh, let's say someone had a cream cheese. And they say, well, I love this uh, cream cheese bagel, hashtag cruelty-free. That's not a cream cheese. This is a plant-based cream cheese. Right. This person really cares about animal cruelty. Yes. If you understood that, you know so much about your consumer and you can design Mm -hmm. products and solutions that they actually want. And this is, you know, this is the core what we're doing. And by the way, what really sets taste-wise apart is the fact that we don't do it for any other vertical or domain. You're focused we don't do it on for this. beauty. We don't do it yep. for fashion. We don't, we only do it for food and beverages. It's a tri- $10 trillion industry. Okay. It, and it really is the biggest, single most uh, impactful, you know, industry on mm-hmm. our environment and people's health. So, so we want to transform that with the data that can actually turn all these like 90% failure rates in the product innovation to successful products mm-hmm. that actually solve problems in the real world for people that actually need them. Right. So in the back end, you are building algorithms to code all this data. Like let's say the cream cheese and the bagel, hashtag cruelty-free. You have coders, data science people who look at that and then create the taxonomy or the or in terms of what the automation needs to look like. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. So one part of the technology is collecting vast amount yes. of data. Yes. Second is to make sense of it, right? Mm-hmm. Try and understand what happened there. Yes. Was someone actually eating this, uh, you know, cream cheese bagel, or is that a bot that is trying to mislead us? Right. Or is that a brand just, you know, running a marketing campaign? You need to yeah. differentiate. If not, you're getting the wrong, you know, conclusions. Yes. And we see that happening very often. And then the last bit, which is very exciting, is actually how do you visualize it and how do you convey to the user? And you pointed it out earlier, Sima. You know, it's one thing to know what to do. Let's say we found an insight and you you have to do a cream cheese uh, that is keto friendly and it's in a ready to go and ready to eat, uh, you know, container. Right. Great. Crisps. Now, the question is, Sima is all sold, but there is a whole company that needs to actually buy into this idea. Right. So a big part of our technology and our software is to actually help you, you know, take this inside and build up the argument in a way that will feel a lot more relatable and concrete. So the platform and the software and the solution in a way helps you do the change management okay, as well as gives you the insights because reaching consensus can take you even longer than finding the right inside. And this yeah. has been one of the biggest tips, you know, learning curve for us mm-hmm. because we say, wow, this, we're not just helping you find out what consumers want to do with your brand and what's the future. Right. We also help you move, you know, a whole organization to the right direction with right. data that's relatable, that is explainable. It's not an AI predictive line that tells you, oh, Sima, you know, in 10 years, right. this is how this brand is going to perform. No, it's like, Here's the trend line, but here's how we got there. Mm-hmm. Here's every single data point that helps us build this. Let's challenge uh, each other. Let's challenge the food science team. Let's uh, challenge the consumer insights team. Let's challenge the business people and so on and so forth. I think what you're saying underlying in that is that there's so much data here. It's hard to challenge the validity of it, right? I mean, if you look at all the data points that are collected and you see the trend, it's hard to argue that this is not, it's a valid trend how can you argue it with a billion data points or trillion data points? Absolutely. So if I give you an example, Sima, you know, where a lot of our customers are still using, you know, surveys. Sure. Imagine you walk into a boardroom and you say, oh, we just did this, you know, survey for hundred people. Who knows who they are? Mm-hmm. Who knows how much they were paid to answer the survey? Or maybe it's a sweatshop in, in a country yeah. with low-cost labor that's just like filling out to get mm-hmm. coupons and make money of it. And then you have a conclusion, 60% of people said that they will buy this new matcha flavor keto, you know. Right. Yeah. And it's like, okay, when we show you the data, we're actually showing you people in there, you know, what do they order on food delivery apps? Right. Do they actually really go for, you know, savory dishes with matcha or not? If so, who is it? Is it like a big chain of restaurants is already putting it on the menu? It's too late for you, but just a few local restaurants that are, you know, trendsetters and are starting to propagate a trend. So basically we're giving you the information that can actually is relatable for you as a person. It's very objective and we're not trying to manipulate. So you come to the platform, not when you have an answer, but actually when you're trying to, you know, you're looking for an answer. Yeah. You're, you're looking, you're looking to explore. for a direction and you don't come with a hypothesis. Yes. Okay. Sense. 
And that's very different for researchers to think of it that way, I think. I mean, we think about, researchers think about white space, and that's a different type of research, right? It's probably more qualitative, more in-depth to discuss with consumers. And then there's the quantitative piece where you do go in with a hypothesis, and in many instances, and you reject or accept the hypothesis. And this is a different way to think about it. So there, it's a great uh, distinction, and there are two ways to use our platform. But basically, you come with a with an idea, with an okay. hypothesis, and then you validate. Mm-hmm. So that's an easier one. This is right. you know, it's great. You can do it within minutes. You don't need to look at a two years old report mm-hmm. that maybe is going to tell you something about plant based, you know, cream cheese or dairy. It's answering your questions mm-hmm. based on data today, and this is a big differentiator. And then the second thing is. I don't know what I'm looking for, but I really need to make sure nothing comes to my category and is going to be impacting my product. Help me figure it out. And when you're thinking about, you know, larger organizations, you know, we're working with uh, Nestle and uh, PepsiCo Mm -hmm. and Mars. They, you know, they have hundreds of thousands of employees. They have tens of thousands of people that monitor different. They need to make sure that their path to success is not just one off. It's consistent. And that they know how to make sure every single person on their team can succeed and never miss an opportunity or white space in their category. And not just because they once did a great research with an agency, they're not going to be, you know, failing or succeeding. That makes sense. So let me ask you, we talked about, you know, there's present day where it's still a little bit more of the traditional methodology that people are using. And there's companies like Nestle that you mentioned, PepsiCo, that have signed onto the platform. What do you think has been the biggest challenge to get more acceptance and acceleration and use of this new methodology of using TasteWise to inform their decisions, specifically as it relates to, let's say, product innovation? Yeah, it's a great question. So it's a big market, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on how you measure, you know, it's tens of billions of dollars that, mm-hmm. that the industry is investing. Yes. I don't like saying spending. Yeah. Investing, <laughs> investing in the market research, mm-hmm. data and analytics, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of money at stake. And, and obviously, so there are a couple of trends that are happening, you know, without taste-wise. So right. smart organizations already understand that they need real-time data. Right. They understand that offline market research is great mm-hmm. as one-off, qualitative, and so on, but it's not a good consistent way to innovate and consistent way to monitor. So the biggest growing segment in you know consumer intelligence is actually data and analytics. Yes. So the industry is growing. I think last year, the investment companies had yeah. in do-it-yourself products versus professional services actually passed. Uh, it was tremendous. 50%. It's yeah. tremendous. So yeah. basically there's a general understanding that if you're a consumer package, good company, mm-hmm. if you're a food brand, knowing your consumer is not a privilege. It's actually, mm-hmm. you must have, you know, people minded doing just that. Right. And they understand it. So they're investing money in, in doing that. So that is happening without any effort from our end. And then okay. there is a question around, you know, just making sure that, you can explain why, and here's the thing, right? So when you're going to the end users, when you're going to consumer intelligence professional, and you're talking to them about a new way to do stuff, actually they were more excited than we thought. Oh, good. That's fantastic. They're extreme. They're open. It's because when they're looking at the numbers, they're not so favorable, right? Because most of the innovation they bring to the market is discontinued after a year or two, meaning that they, the organization didn't do a good job and the insight was not good or Mm -hmm. too late. 
right? Or not mm-hmm. executed well enough. So that is already, when you're going up the ladder, I think there is a lot of understanding that there must be a change, but right. then there is a reluctancy in, in like, do we need another data set? And they're extremely right because when you're thinking about it from a director level, VP level, mm-hmm. you're saying, oh my God, we're spending so much money on all these tools and data sources. Right. But the real question is like, is it the right data set? Yeah. And I'm sure you have some service layer to your business as well to help brands understand and digest the data for the people who don't necessarily want to do it themselves. Is that true? Or is that something that you've said that's not where you want to be? The vast majority of our impact, we do whatever it takes to help our customers. Yes. Okay. Yep. And that is the, that's the core of, of our belief. You know, we're here to change the industry. We're right. here to drive value. So I can tell you that it, and it was a big uh, strategic decision back in the days to build a product and not a professional services right. company. And so we're helping people make sense of the data or answer briefs. And we're not consultants. We don't sure. want to consult. We want to teach you how to fish. That's fantastic. Question for you, just out of curiosity, do restaurants lead trends or do consumers lead trends in terms of new ingredients or, I don't know, hybrid categories? Where are you seeing that? So here's the thing, right? Yeah. The biggest innovation lobby in the food world is probably at the restaurant uh, industry. Okay. Right? Yep. Local restaurants that are constantly, you know, innovating every day, day in, day Trying out. Trying different things. They yep. dish. If it's good, it sticks. If not, they're changing. So this is an amazing, you know, way to finding trend is to, you know, that setup. Second is home cooking. So it really depends. Like the more culinary changes will be coming from restaurants. However, the deeper consumer needs and motivations will be coming from recipes. I'll give you an example. Okay. So, you know, truffle, the rise of truffle. Obviously, yes. it started more, you know, in the restaurant industry. It was more expensive. And then, you know, there were cheaper solutions. However, if people are looking for detox. Right. Or if people are looking, you know, they have like a condition. Maybe they have, a, you know, an intolerance or sensitivity. Or, you know, people are looking for anti-bloating recipes. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go to a restaurateur and say, oh, I need that. You know, my stomach hurts. I what need can truffles. I, right? Yeah, right. So in a way, or if they're trying to fix dinner in five minutes, or if they're trying to solve the So a lot of the deeper needs that are, you know, you're behind your keyboard and you're typing and it's like whatever is on your mind starts at home and then obviously travels to the industry. Right. And the other way around from culinary standpoint, the innovation, making an effort, uh, it obviously starts at a at a restaurant and then travels home because you try to imitate what you try right. in a favorite you know chef driven restaurant and so on. So, the, but but there's no one size fits all, and the most important thing is to be able to monitor that, right? And, yes, and drive drive yeah. yourself for success if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm I'm always amazed at even as me as a consumer and within my family how much one recommendation impacts all of us to say okay let's go try this and over time that becomes a conversation in different communities. Well, I think I want to make one point. I think it's very interesting. It's the shift of the balance of power in some ways where, you know, brands are making things that potentially might have some advantages on the supply chain and bringing out products that way where consumers are now saying, no, this is what I really want and I'm going to share it with the world. And hence, you know, there's this now balance of saying we need to deliver to consumer preferences. Yeah, absolutely. So here's the thing, right? We're thinking about it a lot, but the fact that there is so much resource 
an effort by so many brands who are trying to create more of the same, right? Yes, yeah. And it's such a waste. You know, there are people with so many specific needs, maybe smaller groups, mm-hmm. maybe smaller communities, mm-hmm. maybe that if we just knew that there is a need there, we could just serve them. And you know what, Sima, sometimes it's not about creating something new. Right. Sometimes it's already there. Yeah. But people don't know about it. And mm-hmm. so this is so exciting for us. It's like, how do you understand which new audiences could be a great mm-hmm. fit for a product? And this is something that I'm so excited about because there's, you know, so many amazing scientists and food scientists and and you know, raw ingredients and materials and packaging and distribution and shelf space and then People just don't pick it up and it right. goes in. Yes. It's just insane. It cannot happen in the, in these days anymore. Right. It speaks to sustainability as well and, and caring about the environment. Alan, thank you so much for joining me today. A fascinating conversation. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Thank you for having me, Sima. And let's uh, create a better food industry. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.datagurusepodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. Exclusively. That's www.datagurusepodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.